Hi, Hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushman and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushman and Dustin. Welcome, hunters, back to another Flush 'em Dust 'em episode. Uh, we got Nick and Tyler here, along with special guest Ryan Eater from South Fork Kennels. Uh, we're excited to have him on tonight. Uh, before we get into it, we got to give a special shout out to Gundog Outdoors. Um, Nick and I have recently used their first aid kit in the field. Uh, if you haven't seen that, check out the Instagram video. Very thankful to have that first aid kit and we've used their water bottles as well out in the field. So check out Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code ringnecks to save 15%. Ryan, thank you for joining us tonight. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, we're excited to have you on. So if you could give some, Ryan, if you could give us a little bit of background about you, your kennels and how you got um, started. Yeah, sure. Thanks guys. I appreciate the invite. Uh, Nick, are you the, the new father? I am. Uh, congratulations is in order. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so you uh, have two children now? I have two. Yeah. Uh, so I have Maya who is 20 months on the 24th and then, so I'm gonna have two and two. And then obviously we just had Olivia, um, on December 16th. So last Wednesday, so not too so far. So two daughters. Yeah. So you and I have a lot more in common than I, <laughs> than I even thought, because I have a, I have a one and a three-year-old, uh, both oh, wow. girls. So we're about in the same boat, two years apart. <laughs> yep. uh, I hope you guys get more sleep than we do. Oh man, it's been it's been pretty brutal for me the last couple of nights. My you know my wife ended up having to have a C-section, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so she can't lift our you know almost two year old up. You always got to set her down. So got to do that. And then you know she's struggling to get out of bed because you know it's major major surgery. So always got to get her out of bed. So I'm shouldering all of the child uh, lifting and everything like that so yeah it's been a challenge yeah we had the exact same situation so i just wish you guys the best congratulations and uh, i hope your i hope your wife recovers you know really well and yeah. fast and um but yeah i really appreciate the invite guys because uh, our our kennel south fork retrievers were located in trever wisconsin uh southeast wisconsin literally a mile north of the illinois border uh, I'm from Northeast Illinois, so um, I'm still local to my family and get to, uh, we got the opportunity to kind of take my passion to the next level. I've always loved taking care of dogs. Uh, and I think if you're going to breed dogs, that's first and foremost, what you have to love to do, because that's essentially all you do. Um, Absolutely. I started out wanting to train and and, and just build performance dogs. Um, and I started in Upland. That was, I trained you know, literally meat dogs for people. And that's kind of what got me started as the local kid that could make your dog a better pheasant dog. Um, here where I'm located, and I, I told you guys this kind of in the pre-discussion, there's no wild bird population here. Everybody belongs to or just goes to open to public preserves. Um, we do have some state parks, both in Illinois and Wisconsin, very close to my house that release birds regularly during the season. So you simulate a bird hunt, but it's, we all know wild birds is a different animal and you guys yep. being in Iowa still get to experience that. Um, and so, 
you know, when I, when I graduated college, I had already been training locally as a teenager and up through, up through my, my undergrad years uh, at a local kennel where that was all I did. I trained the breeder's dogs because he did not have time. He was older, had knee injuries, and started guiding upland hunts with those dogs. Um, at the time, I thought they were, you know, the Cadillac of, of bird dogs. And I'm still proud of the work I did, but, you know, wow, it's evolved. And, you know, it's amazing when you, when you train 10 dogs, then 20, then 30, what you, yep. can, what you can do, you know, what that end result really is. Um, and then I ended up out in your guys' neck of the woods. I, I uh, made the golden mistake of following a girlfriend to school. And, <laughs> <laughs> ended up, went, where'd hey. you go to school? <laughs> I ended up at Iowa State. Uh, and, and to make <laughs> and to make sense of it all, I said, "Well, I'm going to go to grad school, mom and dad. It's really a worthwhile move, you know." <laughs> um, not that it wasn't. Not that it wasn't. And and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I it it really brought me here. I mean, I met so many people that bird hunted and waterfowl hunted, and and ended up meeting a couple of dog training mentors who gave me the the know how to even try what I do today. Um, you know, we breed Labrador retrievers and golden retrievers. I know you guys are hunting over a couple of goldens right now, so I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Where do you, what direction do you want to take it? I mean, we, we, we do run hunt tests. Okay. That's kind of my main thing. Okay. Um, and, and you could argue that's not related to Upland, but uh, the HRC actually has an Upland test and an Upland title. And then the AKC allows the Labradors or the retrieving breeds rather to run the spaniel test so that they can actually be trained at the highest level of upland work, you know, sitting to the flush, steady to wing, oh, wow. shot, fall. Nice. Um, and that's something to be kind of cool to talk to you guys about, because honestly, as, as a trainer, there's a lot of purists that are going to disagree with me, but I'll say it anyway. I don't really want my dogs to be that steady and, and that under control because uh, I, I agree with you on that. And we, I would love to touch on it because I think it's interesting and get your guys' take but um, I think one thing worth mentioning, and then I'd rather just answer questions because I hate blabbering about myself. But uh, when, I was, when I was at Iowa State, I, I, I worked with a, a guy who was training and, and breeding Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. And that was a breed that I had no experience with. And in my opinion, it's probably the best breed for someone to learn how to train on because they're a much touchier personality than a Golden or a Labrador. Um, you learn that balance of, you know, teaching, being patient, positive repetition and reward. Uh, this is a breed that cannot deal with being, you know, heavy handed style uh, training. They, they don't bounce back. They'll, they'll stop. They'll shut down. Um, or you can get the opposite where it's so hard headed and just won't do it. And they're big and tough enough to get away with it. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, I met and who's still a great friend and, and we haven't talked in a, in a year or so because he's, he made a career change, but he was training German shorthair pointers and Labradors specifically for the upland game. And so on oh, wow. weekends, if I wasn't retriever training, I was shooting quail for a pointing dog trainer and just kind of getting exposed to this sport. And so, you know, I didn't grow up hunting. Um, I got into it later in life, you know, 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we ended up saying, hey, more people need to have, there needs to be some off-season activities for people to run their dogs in upland venues and, and get that, that experience. Because Absolutely. If, you, if you watch these dogs do this, I don't care what breed, I don't care what you're doing, what species of bird you're shooting, 
there's no way people can't get interested in this. No, Agreed. I agree. I mean, when that tail goes up and they get birdie and I mean, you've done it a thousand times and your heart pumps. So I was like, we have to create, I mean, I'm a marketing guy. That's kind of what I do. And and so we started the Upland Gun Dog Association where we ran hunt test and time trials specifically for Upland Dogs. Oh, nice. And it was, it had no following. We just decided to do it. And I was in Iowa. So all of our first few events were out, you know, between where you guys live. We were in the Iowa City area, uh, out near Des Moines, up in North Central Iowa. So before we get into the further conversation, I wanted to mention that because we recognized that the upland portion of dog work didn't have as many venues and events for people to get interested in. Um, and then as the guy that created it, and I got to judge all the hunt tests, I have seen every breed there is do this work. And so that's crazy. It it really is a cool deal. So I, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys and, you know, shoot, whatever you want to discuss, let's go. Man, that's exciting. Well, I think we'll just start off with, uh, you know, we'll go back and get into the conversation of, you know, you didn't want a dog uh, steady to shot. Let's, let's kick that off. I mean, people probably want to know what your thoughts are that, what our thoughts are on that. So let's do that. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, I I say that tongue in cheek because I know (laughs) when people listen to this, I'm going to get the emails. Yeah, especially from people in the spaniel world and people who run HRC. Um, yep. yep. Oh, if yeah. you follow the Grand, which is you know the biggest, arguably the biggest hunt test in the whole game, you know the HRC mm-hmm. Grand. Yep. The last series of the Grand is an Upland series. Okay. Um, let's let's rewind a little bit though. Okay, most of these dogs that run that are not Upland dogs. So. The joke about the Grand is that at the motel the night before the sixth series or the fifth series, whichever it is, you've got guys out there hitting the sit whistle and burning dogs on the collar to get them to sit to a flush because now luckily these are highly trained dogs that already sit on a whistle. They run blind retrieve. So you're kind of just taking that and translating it or transferring it into an upland scenario. Yep. But you know, I'll tell you guys, because of the Upland Gun Dog Association and running the time trials where it's get three birds as fast as you can. And if, and, and Nick, you had mentioned how many shells. So if you take extra shots, you get penalty time and yep. it's yep. exhilarating. It's fun. It's competitive. It's, it's the perfect game for off season work or just to have some fun. But I mean, if you're in a timed venue, and that dog sits and then you shoot it and then they have to mark it through six foot tall cover and go look for it. You're adding time to that stopwatch versus a dog that's already halfway there when it's being shot. Yep. You're, you're making up that time. And I, I'm not saying that that's a great argument because I recognize that a, a steady dog is in a safer position. No one's shooting Correct. over its yeah. head. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for that. And um, I'm actually training my first English Springer Spaniel right now. And in that world, you steady your dog. There is no such thing as a non-steady, you know, spaniel. If you look at how they play their games, so I I think everything has a place. Um, and, and and then I think if I was out hunting with you guys, which I'd love to do, if if you're shooting wild birds and you don't kill that bird, you know those suckers are gone, man. I mean, well, you are. I don't know, Ryan, if you saw our Instagram posts from out when we were out in South Dakota. Um, but we literally shot a bird. We knew it wasn't hit hard. All three dogs, Diesel, Tyler's Two Goldens, Murph and Lola, all running towards it. Could not find that son of a bitch. Exactly. Gone. We're like, exactly. what the hell? Next thing you know, Diesel takes off and tracks that bird about 150 yards and found it. 
Like, and in how much time? I mean, 150 yards is crazy when you look at the size of a bird and it ran the whole way. Oh, that yeah. bird was gone in heartbeat. You yeah. know, and two minutes. And imagine 30 seconds. It was. Just imagine boom, if boom. all three if, of those dogs sat on the whistle and waited to be sent. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have been even that much farther behind. And, you know, because these dogs are conservation tools, the objective is not to wound a bird and have it out there running around. Absolutely. So, I, you know, I don't know. And, and we, we did a hundred bird challenge at, at Beckridge in Sabula, Iowa. And I know yep. we, we, we are all familiar with that place. This was November. Granted, this is an unseasonably warm and no snow type of winter for us out here. I know you guys have gotten a little bit of snow. Yeah, but it's still warm down here too. You know, we had that one cold, couple of cold days, but it's not like it used to be. No, it's even not a south, typical south, winter. Even even South Dakota, when we were out there, you know, birds weren't sitting tight. It was forty freaking degrees out there. Exactly, like, and it screwed up everything: the waterfowl season, the migration, everything. Yeah. But I mean, my, my my point is that when we're doing that hundred bird challenge, we were walking through seven or eight feet of cover and the food plots and the corn were super was super tall and I mean dogs weren't even penetrating this cover it was so thick it wasn't beat down by snow or anything yet yep. and I sit there and think to myself if these dogs were sitting on the whistle and waiting to be sent on this retrieve it's like trying to mark something over a 20-foot wall if you look at it from their vantage point <laughs> yeah yeah you know really versus is. their natural momentum and so is it the safest method no you need to you know you need to be hunting with people who are who are safety conscious and absolutely I mean hunting with a dog is always something you need to be conscious of where that dog is and you know where you're shooting which I would yep. just assume at this level you know as a trainer a handler you guys as hunters we just know that um, yes absolutely but Knock yeah I mean wood, I don't like had it. any any injuries other than you know run into a stick a dog run into a stick or something like that yeah uh, sure no, no injuries uh while hunting yeah, yeah. you know you, you you play it safe as much as you can which some people are going to say that that steady to wing shot and fall is, is a safety measure, but I'll tell you, it's just not practical for almost any application in my opinion. Yep. I agree. And I mean, yep. you touched on it too. We're, as hunters, people that are carrying guns, one of the main gun rules is don't pull the trigger until you have like, you've confirmed your target, you know, what's behind it, you know, what's below it. You know, you don't put your finger on the trigger until you, are ready to kill that bird and as part of a, being a hunter you know when you see that bird out there you should know where your dogs are where the dogs are and be aware of you know is that bird high enough to shoot for safety or is it too low you know maybe you have to let it go but ryan i gotta i gotta tell you tyler does a lot of confirming but not a lot of killing <laughs> well, <laughs> this, this is a lot of them damn birds <laughs> Well, me and me and Tyler can join the same club. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, at least uh, better to hit nothing than hit a dog, I guess. Absolutely. Um, yeah, even if you miss them all, Tyler, you can you can sit by me at lunch and we won't make fun of each other. Yeah. With I know. It's like I was like, oh, I think I got enough shells for the year. Then I get, we're halfway through the year, and I'm like, fuck, I need to buy a couple more boxes. This ain't going good. Yeah, you know, I thought the same thing. I'm uh, I'm taking my dad tomorrow morning to a local game farm, literally 20 minutes up the road. It's where I buy all my birds for training. And my dad has never pheasant or chucker hunted in his life. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm taking fun. him. I, I'm so pumped. And I can tell he's going to humor me, but I don't <laughs> care. I'm so excited. Um, actually, you know he's going to love it. I hope so, because... After him on two, and like you guys know about my long vacation, my email away message came to you. I'm <laughs> off through the rest of the year. So tomorrow morning, I'm taking my dad 
Tuesday morning, I'm taking my wife for the first time. So I actually took my wife, oh God, it was before Maya, so over two years ago, I took her out. And Diesel, actually, he's a pointing lab, so it's pretty nice, and it, it works well for her. Uh, but yeah, she shot, I took her to a pheasant farm, and she got hooked, and then we kept going a couple times that year, and then obviously she got pregnant, and I tried to take her once when she was pregnant, and she said, this is this is bullshit, I ain't doing this again. So. <laughs> <laughs> I could have told you she might not have liked that one, but I mean, you know what, you guys know as well as I do, I guess I'm going to say two things, one is to kind of be funny, but if we can include the family, we get to hunt more. Oh, Absolutely. you got that right. You know what I mean? And, and there's a ton of positives there. I'm not just being sarcastic or, you know, cute about it. I, I think if, if I could get my girls to love doing this and I think about the potential and when you have a kennel full of dogs, if you can load up the dogs and the family and go do something together, you're kind of checking all your check boxes. The dogs are getting their yep. exercise, their training. Yep. Um, but the other side, and I, I told my dad this and my dad and I are, we're super close, but we're not really, uh, we're men about things. We, we aren't really touchy feely. We don't really talk about emotions, but I said, dad, I promise you, you've lived in this area your whole life and you have never seen the sights and the sounds. And just when you're out in that field and the sun's coming up and I mean, you, you've lived here your whole life, but you've never seen it like this. Yeah. Out in nature. It is cool, true. man. Especially if there's a little frost on, on the grass exactly, and man. You know, yes. you get a little, maybe a little fog over top of it. Oh, no man, doubt. Those are, those are the best mornings. And you combine yeah. that with some of these dogs putting birds in the air, and you just sit there and go, holy shit, why have I not done this my whole well, life? Well, and, you know, your your dad will see, I'm sure your dogs, once they know that, hey, we're going hunting, they start getting a little amped up, getting oh, ready yeah. to go. Your dad's going to see that and be like, are these dogs, you know, are they really that excited for this? Like, <laughs> yeah, man. Man, that's I hope that's what he sees. I that's... hope they don't, I hope they don't tank tomorrow and make this. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm running, a, I'm going to run my, my older guy, uh, Colt. He's kind of the dog that started all this. Uh, I'm going to run him with a couple of newbies who are, they're looking good in training. It's not like they haven't done this. Yep. Um, and essentially a preserve hunt is no different than what I'm doing in training. I just pay someone else to plant the birds, I guess. Uh, now but is Colt, I, it, it'll he, be cool. Are your dogs is Colt? Are they Goldens? They Labs? Uh, what so you, I'm running. I'm running all Labs tomorrow. Okay. Um, Colt is a, is a Black Labrador Retriever. Colt. Uh, he is ten. Oh wow. Oh, um, nice. Other than some gray on his muzzle and his paws, he runs like a three year old. The only difference is he's you know the day after he'll be a little stiff. Yeah. yeah. You know, so obviously nutrition. We do a little bit of supplementation, the bone and joint stuff, and uh, a desequin, I think it's called or something. Uh, yeah, uh, I do that as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's worth it. Um, but he's, we're very lucky with him. We keep him in good shape. Like you guys probably do with your dogs and yep. it, it's worked wonders. So I'm taking Colt. And then I have, I have a, a yellow girl who just turned two. Uh, her name's Mia and she's bred really well, even better pedigree than Colt. And she's, she's a nice dog. And, and actually she'd be one that's worth mentioning on this, in this discussion at some point, because upland hunting has actually been the answer to some of my problems in her hunt test training, believe oh. it or not, um, as a confidence builder and kind of a, Hey, get out and produce your own bird and start feeling a little more sure of yourself and yeah. develop a little bit more of a comp. Cause you know, you got to remember, and, and I don't know how, you said you ran a couple of tests, right, Nick? Yeah. Yep. I did. I mean, you understand marking enough to understand that if they don't, if they don't step on that bird, the minute they get out there, they have to hunt that area to find it. Yep. And so Mia was one of those dogs that if she didn't step on that bird, she'd kind of get frantic, like, Oh no, what am I going to do? 
and she didn't hunt really intelligently. She would kind of just go all over the place and it, it looked real erratic. And, you know, in a hunt test, as long as they pick the bird up and don't leave that area, you'll probably pass. Yeah. But in field trials, you don't have a prayer's chance if you aren't able to mark fairly well. I mean, they're judging that. Did you go out in front footstep on that thing and, and come back or did you have a big hunt? And those are your differentiators in a field trial environment or a competitive yeah. environment. So for her, I'm like, let's, let's put birds out in a field and let's just let her get out there and wind them and, and flush them and chase them. I even put clip wing birds out there the first couple of sessions so that she could catch them. Nice. Oh, that's a good idea. And, you know, and, 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 and I mentioned to you that my background kind of started with pointers and retrievers at the same time. And, and if you think about flushers versus retrievers, you know, Nick, you being the exception with a pointing lab, on the pointing side, you never want that dog to catch a bird. Because if they catch it, why would they point? Yeah. Yep. But then on the flusher side, we train with dead birds a lot. We want them to smell it and bum rush it and grab it and get so confident getting in there. You know, it's opposite. It's like, let them catch them, let them catch them. So with Mia, it worked wonders. And um, so I'm excited to kind of see how she puts it together. And then we're running a, another year and a half old chocolate dog named Ruff, uh, who kind of the same deal. She's, for whatever reason, she's not as sure of herself as I would like her to be. And I'm, I'm hoping that this is that diet of, of bird exposure that'll fix it. Yeah, you know, I would say Diesel's uh, to the pointing. I never taught him to do that it's just it's a gene that expresses himself it's mm -hmm. itself in him and he just started doing it uh when he after he turned one I'm like what the hell are you doing man like i didn't even know what the hell he's doing i was like what are you doing if you and guys I, want to get a million clicks you should call this episode labs point <laughs> yeah that's right will <laughs> because i'm telling you and, and i again same with my steady to wing shot and fall theory a lot of people get pissed when i say this more labs point than lab purists want to admit Oh yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. I, I didn't even know he's not even like if you go to his pedigree, they never said anything about pointing labs. And all of a sudden, one day we were walking, um, we weren't even to cover yet. We were walking through like a hayfield, and it just got done snowing, fresh snow. Right after he was like, he was like one and a half. All of a sudden, we're in the middle of this field, and he stops and he's pointing. And I go, "What the hell are you doing?" I'm like, "Let's go, come on." And I don't have a command to release him off of it or anything. Um, all of a sudden, he just dives in there, and I'll be damned. Nobody was ready. He kicked up a fucking bird. And I was like, oh, and then, and, ever and that since, was the last time you ignored that point. <laughs> it was, um, and now he does it all the time. And, and with running birds, it's more of a flashpoint. So like he stops for, you know, maybe five seconds and then he'll, you can tell he's on something and then he'll move. Um, and he'll track that bird. So he will flush birds too. It's not like he just stops and points, but if a bird's sitting tight, he'll, he'll point that bird. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Colt kind of does that too. And, and, I, I will say this. I don't know if they're pointing the same way that say, you know, you guys have seen videos of like eight week old English pointers, literally yeah. steadily yeah. pointing. I, I think that pointing can be misconstrued, you know, depending on, on how you look at it. It could just be this anticipatory reflex of, I smell something in there. What is it? And they kind of stop and contemplate for a second. And, but at the same time, you know, Nick, you hit the nail on the head. If I take my wife, I hope Colt does that because it gives me that extra second for her to yep. get ready. You know, she's not yep. gun savvy yet. She's not super experienced. We both have young girls in a few years, you know, they'll be probably starting with some BB guns or something. And then we'll go to four tens and, you know, I yeah. almost kind of want a pointer so that we can have more of a safe collected approach to that flush. Yeah. Cause they're not the, the uh, walking, pulling up safety off, 
pull the trigger, you know, all, aiming, all that is not going to happen. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard enough to do stationary, you know, like when you yeah. go to the, the range and, and you stand there with the gun on your shoulder and you say pull. And when yep. people are learning to shoot, they wait for that clay target to go over the barrel and they just pull the trigger. They're not even aiming at that stage. That's hard to do stationary, let alone walking like you just yep. said. So, I mean, yep. you know, yeah, but a lot of labs point and, and with my background, I saw so much of it. I mean, and I have a really good friend and client, you know, he's a guide at, at Beckridge. His name's Greg Ellis. And he's got a couple of really badass, really badass yellow dogs. And we trained them. Um, it's not our training that made them good. They had the gift when we got them. I mean, they were birdie. They just naturally, and, and, and Tyler, with you running Goldens, you're going to understand this because I think it's more innate in the Goldens in my experience, but these dogs just worked with us and never wanted to range too far. I mean, it was so natural. They worked with us. They checked in. They went and got put up birds. They brought them back. Um, really, really biddable. And so Greg guides out at Beckridge, and two of his three, they're, they're hard-pointing dogs, and we never taught it. But I never untaught it either because it doesn't bother me. Well, yeah, it's like it's, if that's the gene that's expressing itself and that's how they hunt, you know, it's not broke, don't fix it. They're finding their birds. You don't know what could happen if you try to – try to switch that natural instinct, you know? I wonder, you know, and the, the funny thing is, is I say, well, it's this anticipatory reflex. They smell a bird and they kind of freeze. But you would think when they're guide dogs and they go to South Dakota every year, the amount of birds that they see, if that was the case, they'd get more comfortable with, oh, there's a bird, and they would dive bomb it, and there wouldn't be as much of a point, but they still do it. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, my theory kind of goes out the window when you look at how much experience his dogs have and the point never went away it might have even gotten stronger yeah you know I, I would say that's true so you know diesel for six years he he has done this after the first time i guess five years so f since that first point it's been consistent every year every bird pheasant farm not a pheasant farm wild bird quail he'll do it on quail wow. uh, yeah he doesn't own everything and then the crazy thing about it too ryan is and tyler can speak to this but now his dogs are starting to do it. And I don't know if they learn that from Diesel because they watch him <laughs> or what, but it's kind of crazy. Like all of a sudden they're starting to do it too. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. Not that you're asking for my opinion, but I'm going to give it anyway. Enjoy it. I mean, yeah, it's I don't fun even, to watch. <laughs> I don't even try to make sense of it anymore. Just no. enjoy it because it's still, I agree. And there's nothing wrong with that little flashpoint as an indicator. You know, you start to yeah. learn your dog's mannerisms and, if you guys get the chance, like you said, whether you're taking your wife out, you're taking buddies out, if you ever guide for fun on the weekends or something, I mean, you just know their tells and they got a nose that's way better than ours. So if they're doing their thing and you know there's a bird there, just say, hey, thank you for this great dog and let's kill this thing and let's just Absolutely. keep it. You know what yep. I mean? It's uh, yep. it's really that simple. Yeah, Absolutely. to go on that today, I had um, Lola pointed on a bird and so my cousin he is back up from Alabama from school this week. And then he brought one of his friends um, that he goes to school. It's never the guys uh, never pheasant hunted before. They don't have pheasants down there, obviously. And uh, so it was awesome today. Lola pointed on a bird and I was just like, Hey, everybody get ready. And we we're all close enough that, you know, everybody got to see it. Bird gets up, happened to be a rooster. We shoot it. And like, you know, everybody high fives. And I, I mean, it was just cool to watch, you know, and you, it's just nice when you have a couple people that are more fresh, like you guys have been saying, 
that you give that extra second or two seconds, you know, to get them ready. And I kind of wonder, you know, if you think about it, if you think about like an animal out in the wild hunting, you know, they're, they're like stalking their prey. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the birds like the dog's prey. They know, like they smell it. They know they want it. And they know that if maybe if I'm still enough and when I go in, there's a chance of me catching it. You know, I've, I've kind of always wondered like, you know, do they, are they like, they want to catch that bird, you know, are they stalking this bird? And that's kind of why they're pointing, you know, it, it's not like a, like you said, not a natural point, like a GSP or something, but where it's the dog's like, I'm going to catch this bird. I would have to say yes. I would Tyler, have to not, say yes. We're not, we're not tying in your personal life stalking in dog hunting. <laughs> <laughs> no. This is how Tyler met his significant other. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly stalked. I, Tyler, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. I'm sure you are. If you've ever been to a pheasant fest or just being in the industry, uh, the Smith brothers, you know, Rick and Ronnie Smith, the pointing dog trainers, they're on mm-hmm. the Purina stage every year. And um, they are they can train anything uh but they i think they i would it's fair to say they specialize in bird dogs you know more the pointing breeds yeah but they absolutely go into that in their in their training articles and all of their content especially your flushing breeds because you have prey drive in a pointer or a flusher it makes no difference the prey drive is what makes them go out and do their job correct how they respond when they come into contact with that prey you know obviously there's there's natural and trained responses in both sides of it but i i would have to think that 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 predator type of mentality, yeah. you know, kicks in. I, I think if you were to watch a wolf or a coyote hunt something, you'd see similar behavior. It's yeah. gotta be. Or like a fox, you know, you always see that where the fox is like, yeah, boom, they pounce on the snow, you know, and pull out a. Exactly. You see, you whatever. see dogs flush birds exactly like that. Yeah. Yep. So yep, it, yeah, 100%. But you know, regardless, I, I think I'm just one of those new school guys that some of the old school guys might, might, you know, grumble about, but to me, I, I don't really care how the dog does it. Let's just get it. I mean, I, I want it to be done at a high level and I have standards and I work really hard to train a dog the right way. But if there's little tendencies, like it flash points or it points a little bit, or it wants to pounce when it flushes, I don't really point a finger at that. I just roll with it Yeah. because we're getting the end result that we want. And, and, you know, it's really hard with me because most of the dogs I train are young. Yeah. And so I can't tell you that 150 birds later, which for some of my clients is literally a matter of two months, that it's still going to be the same. Sometimes it refines and gets better as yeah. well, you know? So I don't, I don't point a finger at stuff like that. I don't like to overanalyze. Training dogs is, is uh, there's a lot to it. It's pretty intricate as it is. I don't like to add to it, you know? So Ryan, are people bringing dogs to you to train from outside of your kennel as well? We have, Nick, because when you're, when you're getting started, I have, uh, Sammy Harms is a girl that trains for us. Um, she's a family friend. I've known her since she was a toddler. She went to vet tech school. It wasn't for her. And when South Fork started four years ago, she reached out to me and said, you know, I really want to work with dogs. Do you mind if I just come learn under you? And four years later, she's got four or five dogs in training and this is how she pays her bills. Um, that's awesome. in theory, I'm considered a pro because we bill people for the training, but I more or less oversee it. I, I have 12 dogs of my own that I'm training. Oh, wow. And, and I own them. They're mine. So 
Damn. I don't have time to take anyone else's dog, but Sammy does that. And then we train together. And so we kind of, I oversee it and, and uh, she is, she's great. She works really, really hard. She's a student of the game and, you know, she would rather be with dogs than anybody else. And that's kind of a, a prereq for that job, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, but, but yeah, so Nick, I mean, to answer your guys' question, yes, we take dogs if, if we can, but I, I won't lie to you. Our strategy is to fill the pipeline with dogs that come out of our litters. And so how many, how many goldens, how many labs you have now? In training um, right now, we have what's the, two. What's the pipeline look like in terms of breeding? Uh, what do you guys have lined up, I guess, for the sure, coming yeah. years? The, the breeding plans, Nick, they, they vary based on, I mean, honestly, my personal life plays into it too. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. you, when you do a breeding, you're sending those puppies home 16 weeks, four months, you know, later. Yeah. So yeah. if you do a breeding, you got to look at your calendar. Okay, well, we're supposed to be on vacation this week. Well, obviously, <laughs> you know, unless Sammy's going to cover for me, which has happened, or vice versa, she's going to be out of town. I'll help her and, and train that week or whatever. I, our pipeline, uh, breeding-wise, I, I try to have – I would like to have a litter at all times if I could, just because yep. um, one litter at a time is ideal. You can socialize those puppies really well. If you have to, we like to intervene and supplement feed a little bit just to make sure, especially on a big litter. Um, and, and what we're learning about puppy development, it, what you're doing with these litters at two, three, four weeks old, just in terms of handling them and being around them. It's amazing the difference at eight weeks, you know, versus one that sits in the whelping box for six weeks and sees nobody. Yeah. Um, so the pipeline, Nick, it, it, it really, the heat cycles are fairly consistent, but they're not perfectly consistent. So the crystal ball doesn't always work that way. I basically look at what do I have for deposits? Who's interested? Am I, do I have homes lined up? Because, yep. you know, this isn't my full-time job breeding dogs. It's, it's just something we do as a family and we're very committed to it. it, it our lives revolve around it. Um, but it's not how I pay my bills. So it's not driven by financial. It's, it's just something we enjoy doing. I do try to keep Sammy busy though. Okay. And I want to make yep. sure that she's got the pipeline. So in training, you know, we really only take anywhere from four to six dogs at a time. And then how long do you keep those dogs? What's That's your... up to the client. I mean, we oh, would take okay. them all the way through their master hunter title at age two, if the client wanted to leave the dog or work with us, you know, where it's with us for a few months, goes yeah. home, you know, yep. um, we, we have yet to really get that kind of commitment because I think we all agree, um, man, 90% of the market wants a family slash weekend warrior hunting dog. Yep. Uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they want a lesser trained dog, but it does change their perspective on what they're willing to invest in and, and pay for. And they also don't want their dog to be gone. So there's that balance of all those things. Yeah. You know, when I decided to have diesel trained, I didn't really know what I was getting into per se. And that was mm -hmm. my first experience with HRC hunt test and all that stuff. And immediately then I was hooked and I was like, all right, you know, I, since I travel, don't really have the time to go out every day and train a dog. And now that I have two kids, it's not going to happen. So I'll never not have <laughs> a trained dog. Um, I don't know if I'll do the hunt tests. Um, Cause honestly it didn't, it didn't bring me anything. But to have a dog that could do them and, you know, know that they could do them, I think that's enough for me. As long as but do you good. feel – let me let me kind of flip the script on you and just ask this question. You, I think you just answered it, but 
you might not have loved the hunt test. Number one, what level of test did you run? Did you run a starter test? Yeah. And then okay. I did, uh, I did the senior as well. I ran that one. The AKC senior. Nope. Um, oh, oh, you ran seasoned. Seasoned. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's conceptually, it's very similar. It's a double, a blind, you know, it's yep. the, the work is similar. Um, here's my question. That dog is far better in the field than any other dog you've had. Right? Oh yeah. No, hundred percent he is. So the reason that I look at it with South Fork Retrievers, if you were to say, well, what's your main goal? And I mean, let's get outside of, we're obviously trying to breed dogs that are an enhancement to what's already there. I mean, it's, it's hard to say I want to improve the Labrador breed because let's face it, it's been number <laughs> one registered dog in the nation. Yep. Yep. And the golden is like number three yep. every year. So you're talking about the two most popular breeds in the country, arguably, um, it's hard to improve that because they're just so great already. Honestly. I mean, as long as you're breeding quality genetics and you're doing the right, you know, things you're producing dogs that are excellent across the board for so many types of people. But I want to get people into hunt testing, Nick and, and Tyler, but Nick, you're the one that said, you don't know if you want to hunt test. So I'm going to work you for a second. <laughs> number one, number one, it's, it's the only off-season activity that sort of translates to what you do with them in the fall. That is true. Yeah. And I think number two or 1A, 1B, is it provides you a framework, so to speak, or a barometer for where am I at in training? That is good. That is you good know, point. what do I need to work on? I mean, if you're hunting waterfowl, I'm sorry, you need a dog that handles. Oh, you do. Absolutely. I mean, and, 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 and here's the thing. I have a note here because I knew I was going to talk to you guys and I know this is an upland podcast, but one thing, and it's kind of my mission, I'm tired of people differentiating the types of hunting and using it as a cop-out to have a lesser trained dog or to not do certain steps in the process because you don't quote unquote need it. Now I have two small kids. You guys know, it's not like you have all the time in the world to train the most complete retriever. That's, that's tough. I'm not trying to be, you know, snarky when I say that. No, not at all. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. But I think, I mean, number one, if you're hunting upland, you, what'd you just tell me? You guys had a, had a cripple that got away. What if you needed to run a blind and try to get the dog, not even to, to get him exactly to the bird, but maybe you wanted to get into a patch of cover a hundred yards away just to see if he could wind it and find it. Yep. Sure. You can walk him over there. But it's sure nice to be able to line him up and send him and handle him in there. And then maybe you don't have to move as much. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you know, you true. shoot a double. If you shoot a double or as a, a collectively, South Dakota is the best place to, you guys get out there and flush a group. You've got six, seven birds on the ground. You've got two, three dogs. You know, you could yeah. spend a bunch of time hunting dead birds or we could mark them and kind of run these little blinds or, hey, I want you to hunt this cover off to the right. And you want to cast that dog and get them over there. Yep. So my, my AKC master hunter, like a colt who's 10 years old, okay, and he's a pretty good upland dog. He's a bad example because he actually knows both games. But he's kind of my model for, hey, they can do both. They can learn both. These dogs understand the differences with the right exposure, the right training. I don't recommend up, upland hunting when you're right in the middle of certain stages of training in their early development in terms of the yeah. handling work. You know, I don't want to teach my dogs every time they see cover, they should hunt or break mm -hmm. down and not run a straight line. But that only matters for a certain period of time. And then these dogs, if, if you're smart about how you do it, 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 it doesn't matter anymore. And, and they know it both. So I like to get people to, to see it more as they're complementary of each other, you know, both games. 
like if that, that makes sense. I don't know. No, if it makes that's... complete sense. It makes complete sense. I think it does too. Because, for example, <clears throat> my Goldens, I didn't, I didn't take them anywhere to have trained, and I just started uh, this past year a training program with them um, through Cornerstone Gundog Academy. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, that's Barton Ramsey's deal. Yep. Yep. So I follow, I'm following their program. It's like a 52 week plus program. And from last year to this year, their obedience and just the way they listen to me in the field. um, It's just night and day difference. And I'll second that. You know, it's, and I like that's their program is their big waterfall guys, you know, and I was kind of like, I was talking to uh, the head, not Barton, but Josh Parvin is the other guy that does it. And when I was thinking about it, you know, I saw it and I was like, you know, I, I don't know if, I mean, they're two and three years old now. I don't know if I'll run them through hunt tests. I've considered doing it this year just to have experience doing it. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to waterfowl hunt, but I like the style that you guys are running with obedience, you know, and I know it's geared towards waterfowl. And he kind of said the same thing, you know, is the obedience part, handling the dog. He's like, yeah, you're, you might not have to use the waterfowl, you know, hand signals or, you know, run at run as many blinds and stuff as you would in maybe waterfowl scenario but it's nice to know that your dog can do that if you're in that situation. I couldn't agree. I mean, you know, I don't know Barton or his team personally, but obviously if you're in this game, you know, of them, they're, they're awesome marketers. They have awesome content. He runs a different style of a dog than me. You know, I'm, I'm running American line field trial bred retrievers, goldens or labs, either way. Yeah. And, and Barton's running what, and I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm sure he's got all kinds of dogs in training, but he's the British style Labrador. He runs that continental style field trial where he stands over the dog and sends them in a different way. And um, man, honestly, what he does is probably more geared towards your everyday hunter anyway, which if, if you look at this from just a marketing standpoint, because he's doing it for a living, yeah. His his program and his t- style of dog, you know, the the British lines, the stereotype behind them is that they're calmer, they're quieter. If you think about it, they're probably the perfect dog for 99% of people wanting a Labrador, right? I mean, on paper. Mm-hmm. So w- whether you're doing his his way or our way, and uh, there's probably more similarities than we even realize because you're still training a retriever. A retriever yep. is a retriever. Yep. Um, yep he what what you just said is spot on and i i think i will tell you this i I think if you're if i get a dog in for obedience and the client's willing to give us enough time we still force fetch the dog and they're like well we're not hunting it i don't care because they get conditioned to receive corrections and pressure and turn off that pressure by obliging commands and and all of a sudden a force fetch dog that's been through collar conditioning and formal obedience is the best house dog they've ever had because Absolutely. they they know how to work with you it's about engagement and focus and teamwork and you know you're just taking that relationship of dog and handler to another level and and in a way it's like i could argue basic obedience force fetch collar conditioning for almost any type of working dog anyway the in the sporting side of it um 
I would say it's a must, and I, I'm I, stretching. But I would I would agree. I mean, I, I, Diesel, you know, I didn't I had him force fetch obviously at the trainer too, but at, when I didn't, you know, he wanted to always play a game like "Come chase me, I got what the hell you want," and I was like, God, <laughs> "Damn it, get over here," you know. Um, and the second the second after he got done with that force fetch, you could tell that you kind of had control over him, you know. And they actually trained him to his pressure was actually a shot collar. Yeah, uh, so they yeah, they collar fetch, yeah. Yep, yep, they collar fetched him, so it worked really nice. So sometimes if, you know, I need him to, you can just hit the collar and say fetch, and he'll pick up whatever the hell you want. Yeah, sure, and I, and I mean – Actually pretty nice. The, the thing about that is, you know, there's obviously – there's a jury out there about e-collars and force fetch, and, you know, the word force is probably the worst adjective you could use if you want to be <laughs> politically correct. Yeah. But at the same time – it's nothing like what it sounds like, and it's not it's not this militant control thing. The control is just kind of a pleasant byproduct yeah. of this really good communication between you and the dog. You take their comprehension of what you're doing to another level, and um, again, whether you're doing it Barton's way or my way, and it's I'm not, it's not my way. I've adopted you know other people's methods, but um, at the end of the day, this is about just having a better hunting dog. I mean, Nick, imagine ever hunting with a dog that's not force broke again uh yeah not gonna happen but i i did use my third lab my first two <laughs> were not well that's what and, i mean go uh, back to the days because you know, i do the same yeah, thing i go back to the first few dogs they were natural they were pretty everyone says natural retriever they would come back and they'd spit that bird out within a step or two of me and i always thought that was just how it was you know and i was happy with it yeah, until i, I did started too. I you know but too. then then they come back to the boat with a duck and it's like they have to get up on that ladder and what do they do when they have to climb if they're not taught to hold and deliver to hand and I mean they're spitting it out and then you're reaching in the water for it and um it, you know and and this is a whole nother discussion we won't have time to get into this force fetch really isn't even about a clean retrieve force fetch is about a dog understanding pressure and how to comprehend corrections and adjust behavior the the, the clean retrieve is a byproduct of it and, and that sounds crazy and it did to me for a long time but that's something at another time probably to touch on but yeah I mean either way you look at it I don't care if you're hunting ducks if you're hunting pheasants it's not necessarily an excuse to skip what I consider the real foundation you know of training a oh, retriever. Yeah. I understand I other underst- breeds are different but I would never understood what you mean and you know if I didn't have diesel, I'd be like, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me, but it does now. It completely. Well, and so you're, you're a prime example. The first time you are exactly like most people that show up and get a puppy from us, you know, you show up with your wife and it, you know, maybe how old is diesel? He's six. Okay. So, I mean, you guys got diesel long before you had kids, but either way you show up as a family and you get your puppy and you think, you know what you want. And in your mind, you know, you want to hunt this dog. You've hunted dogs in the past. And you know, like anybody, you, everything's based on your own life experience. So you think you're yep. familiar, but then you take that step and you, you go through more of this type of program and all of a sudden you recognize, you know, wow, this is such a, this is a better experience. This dog is under more control. This dog is doing work at a higher level. I'm enjoying myself more. And you know, the, it, it translates at home too. It's like, this is yeah. a better dog all around. Yeah, well- jump off jump off target a little bit there but we hunt with my uh my sister's boyfriend and they got a they got a gordon setter we went uh went hunting some real thick cover i mean you couldn't see the dog 15 yards in front of you just couldn't it was that thick and it was tall we ended up losing his fucking dog twice and the second time we lost him we had to go we had to quit hunting go back get four wheelers and drive through the field until we found him 
Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just have a dog that doesn't <laughs> respond. We're like, what the hell, man? And he's, he, he, he's 10, so the dog's old um, and just started hunting really at 10. So Does he like, run I, really big? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. It's yeah. the yeah. dog will, he can out, he'll outrun our dogs. Like, well, I, be, I mean, you know, those but, pointing breeds, some of those pointing breeds, I, I last year, just to challenge myself and get some experience, I went and bought a couple of English pointers and trained them just I just and I, I had a pro do a lot of the foundation work I'm not going to take credit for everything I just wanted to experience it because it's it's like market research for me I, I love to to learn other methods and train other that's why I have a springer now I'm just I'm just trying to put things together and, and make myself better and I I sold those pointers to guys that hunt more open prairie because I said I need a helicopter license to keep up with this fucking thing <laughs> yeah. I mean it, I that thing that. was I, I, 250 yards out. How do you hunt with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That's that's kind of how we are too. Uh, so you know, the whole time we're hunting, uh, my sister's dog is named Oakley. <laughs> Her boyfriend the whole time is Oakley, 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 hey Oakley, Oakley. And you know, Tyler and I got our dogs whistle trained. We can't see them. You just hit a whistler. We got the you know locator collar, so you can just hit that. And okay, they're over here. Um, and you can trust them, you know, you can trust your dog. I think that's one of the biggest things that probably force fetch does too. You, they understand. And if you have to give them a little pressure and they know what the hear command is or your whistle command is, they're going to take that pressure. And they're going to come back to you. That's the uh, collar conditioning is, on obedience. Yep. What you just said. Yeah. I mean, their yeah. conditioned response to those commands, it starts as shaping behavior. You know, you get a young puppy coming to you for a treat. You're not even using the command yet. They just learn that every time they come to you or they get on a place board and sit or any of these little things, they get a treat and they're like, well, okay, I know what I'm going to do. And then once all that's molded, you know, now you start assigning a command and teaching it. Well, then they go through collar conditioning. And again, I'm skipping steps, but it's just ingrained. I mean, you've just done it and yeah. you've conditioned this response. You know, the, 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 your story about the Gordon or my experience with the pointer, they're not bad dogs, but I think application is so important for all of us to be honest about when we decide what kind of dog am I going to get? I mean, if you're hunting the prairies of North Dakota and the cover's two feet high and you can see that white pointer 300 yards out there and they're going to hold point and wait for you to show up on horseback. Awesome. That's a great yep. dog for you. You know, that makes sense. Yep. But here in the Midwest, we're hunting in some cases fields that are a couple acres with timber around. So, I mean, when you, when you look at a 200 yard ranging dog, I mean, you're not even watching dog work. You're just wondering how fucking far away he really is. Yep. And then you got a GP. <laughs> like it blows my mind that you look at yeah. a collar and go, my dog's 700 yards away. And I think to myself, holy shit. Yeah. I have to walk my ass that far. Well, yeah. How do you get him back? You I mean, you li I joke. It's like, how do you get that dog back? Yeah, it's at, crazy. The of, at the end of that hunt. Ryan, I, I, I didn't know anybody's name anymore. I thought everybody's name was Oakley. So. <laughs> I believe it. And, and I'm not, ex you know, that, that 700, that 700 yard ranging, you know, all age pointer, which is a real thing. They do that. And it's impressive. But if you break that out, that's literally like half a mile. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, in where it's, I live, if you're at a club, a half a mile out could be in a subdivision. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> you know, and so I, by no means am I, re this, am I this, ripping this on the dog. It, this cousin is frozen, brought me up from out of a freezer as a guy's yard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, like I said, those dogs have a, those dogs have a place and, and, you know, I guess I'm just going to cover a little bit. So no one thinks I'm ripping on the breed, but 
that English pointer might be the most impressive in terms of what's ingrained in that DNA. I mean, they are probably the most aggressive bird finder, the best nose. They're metabolically different than other dogs. I mean, think about a dog that can run, you, you know, go to South Texas in January and go to a guy who's guiding quail hunts, right? That dog is doing 15 to 20 miles a day, five or six days Man, a week. It's crazy. And it's gaining weight. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get tired. It doesn't, you know, those dogs are definitely impressive animals, but you have to give them the right home, the right mm -hmm. work. And it's no different yeah. than a retriever. I mean, it, it goes to say with all these breeds, but you know, when you're hunting upland with retrievers, to me, you got to look at, I mean, we get cold, we get ice, we get wind, you know, that double coated breed that can get out there in the snow and break cover, even just corn stalks and stuff. I mean, that stuff is thick and intrusive if you're not a tough, gritty dog, yep. you know, oh, and, yeah. and a big rooster yes. that, that sits tight and, you know, wants to get up in the face. I mean, you need a dog that's got some, some go, you know, um, but to me, it just, I think a lot of us run retrievers because of the versatility and the fact that we have the conditions and, you know, we do hunt in the water here. You know, we're not on the ocean. We're not in Chesapeake Bay with three foot swells, but we are hunting a lot of inland lakes here where I live. We have a lot of inland lakes with a lot of potholes, flooded fields, mm -hmm. um, German short hairs. There's a lot of breeds that are versatile enough to do it. I just, you know, to me, that double coated breed maybe handles the cold a little bit better yep. and I know there's dogs out there that'll prove me I'm not saying they're better or worse it's it, there's people that do it with Boykin Spaniels and whatever and that's great um but to me they just they just made sense for and I think you guys are the same way listening to your stories and how you hunt yep absolutely and I think that's why Tyler and I like to hunt together right um you know our dogs complement each other they work similarly we can kind of read each other's dogs um so I, that plays a key role, I think, in in kind of how this whole thing started, and why I was like, "Hey, look, we got a great team here. Let's uh, let's see what we can do with it." That's the other thing when you hunt together like that. You know, think about your first hunt, and you know how many hunts later, even the dogs and the people start becoming a. You get that camaraderie, but you also get that that I want to call it almost like an execution, like you take the field and you guys just know how you want to do it, and the dogs yep. get accustomed to it, and you know, we do those hundred bird challenges at Beckridge and it's like, now that we've done it for a few years, it's hilarious because the first couple of times we'd be having these little meetings and orchestrating what we're doing. Now it's almost like the beginning of an action movie. Everyone's just loading guns. No one's talking. Everyone just takes their <laughs> position and goes, you know, has a sling of ammo on them. <laughs> exactly. But it's, it's true. I mean, you just get used to it and you, and that's a good thing. I mean, you want to talk about safety and everything else, you know, oh, being yeah. able to read each other and kind of, you know, assume what this guy's going to do and anticipate and the dog, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Sabula, they're open till I believe March 31st after, after wild bird is closed here, we should, uh, we should team up get down there and uh, do a hunt. Yeah. You guys are more than welcome. Uh, like I said, my client, Greg Ellis is a guide there. So we, we try to do one a month. Oh, nice. Um, so I'll let you know what our, what our dates are for January, February, March. And if one or two of them work, jump on and come for sure. Yeah. That'd be okay. a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. It's awesome. It, I mean, for, as a trainer, I, I cringe a little bit. There's a lot of things, you know, dog wise that are not favorable. I, I, I really hate when you encourage dogs to be in this clusterfuck of a situation where you're not in I don't when I say control I mean I'm pretty liberal about control in upland situations if you're in gun range and you're hunting 
especially a young dog learning the game, I really try to let them develop a lot of natural confidence. And, you know, I like to teach quartering and I'm learning more about that in the spaniel world. But um, I don't like when they get encouraged to just run around and be in front of anybody and steal retrieves from each other. And there's just a whole bunch of, you know, disobedient yep. behavior. But mm -hmm. you still cannot get that level of bird exposure really any other way. Um, yes. so it, th there are pros and cons and, you know, that's dog training. I, I think I was talking to a client today who was curious about hunt tests. And what's hilarious about this whole thing to me is that we train our dogs to hunt. You're supposed to run hunt tests to get a better hunting dog. But when you hunt your dog, you're untraining them for a hunt yeah. test. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, there's that's, so many bad exactly things true. that they pick up on during season that like, you're just like, Jesus Christ. So you go back, you know, you go back out to the training field after like, we were out in South Dakota for four or five days, straight hunting, you know, come back to <laughs> pick up their training. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, did we even learn anything? You know, it's just well, like almost restarting with them. Sometimes it feels in, like. in a way that's Tyler, that's so true. And, but the other side of it is it, it, makes you sit back and this is kind of where I'm at in the last couple of years is you know maybe I need to look at how am I hunting and how can I do a better job of yeah. not letting them slide in the first place you know yeah I mean we yep. do this in other areas of our lives I mean I'm trying to get back on track just how I eat and take care of myself and I don't work out and I need to and it's just as simple as you just have to start doing it so if you go hunting be a little more conscious of your dog but yep. upland hunting one of the, I, I understand waterfowl and upland hunting are both social events, but what I love about upland is that you get out and you're moving, you get to walk, you mm -hmm. get to socialize, you kind of yeah. shoot the shit a little bit while you're out moving versus yep. sitting there at four in the morning in the dark, you know, and eventually you kind of have to be quiet and not move a lot because you're not, you don't want to disrupt anything. Upland wise, you just, you go for your stroll and watch the dog. And so I like that part, but you know, maybe it's hard to not hunt with people, but maybe everybody says, Hey, you know what? Two guys maybe hang back a little and then let's run one or two dogs at a time instead of four, you know, let's give each dog their opportunity, but let's not have this mass array of just, you know, chaos. Yeah. And because I, I think it's tough when you get, like I said, I had a couple of dogs with confidence issues. Well, if they produce a bird, that retrieve is the reward. So if the more boisterous, confident dog goes and steals that retrieve, I'm not really getting the full benefit for that other yeah. dog. But you know what I thought to myself, it's like, well, the only thing you can do is either work that dog by itself a little bit longer or hunt with people that understand what you're trying to accomplish. And, it, you know, a duck dog's the same thing. If, if you're having issues, hey, guys, let this group go. I got to make my dog sit and learn how to be quiet. And, you know, um, there are certain parts of hunting that as a trainer, you just can't prepare for, you know, and yep. I think there's trained dogs and then there's dogs that have life experience. And it's hard sometimes to, to do both. I mean, a, a great mm -hmm. example is if you sell a started duck dog to somebody and they say, well, how do they do in the boat? And it's like, you know, that's on you. It, we yeah. don't go sit in the boat, but it, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing. That doesn't go, you know? That's not part of the package. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it could be Nick because we keep it small enough, you know, and, and, and honest to God, I've told Sammy this, you know, I've said, you know, think about it. And I, I hate to get out of Upland. I know this is an Upland discussion, but think about a duck dog. Nobody goes to training and sits for five hours and shows them nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest <laughs> yeah. part, you know, and I can, I can say this about Upland too. Let's, let's go back to Upland to stay on point. If, if we go out to the field to train 
And I like to do, you know, two, three, four birds at a time. So I'll go out and plant like a three bird course and then I'll go get the dog. And then yep. I take them. I, I like to work young dogs into the wind, but nonetheless, you know, you come in the field and you want to get those bird contacts. Well, let's, let's extrapolate that over a few weeks or a few months or whatever. And then you go hunting and you walk for two hours and there's no birds. You know, what does that dog think? It's like, well, every yeah. time I get off the truck, I'm getting birds. What is going on? And then you have to watch that dog because some of them, you know, they've got that drive and that motor and, and they're, they're good. They, they, it doesn't really matter, but that's a rare percentage yeah. of them. The young dogs, you know, I call it a gate bird. I, with a young dog, I like them to get a bird right in the first 30 yards just to pump them up. And I yep. just make sure that my next couple planted birds are 150 yards away so that even if this one, you know, if we miss it or if we just flush and chase, they don't bump the other two, you know, in route because they don't have the control to be recalled right away. Yep. Um, and it's just no different than a duck hunting dog that sits there and whimpers after 20 minutes because they're used to getting off the truck and you throw them three marks in a blind and then they go back on the truck. Yep. Yep. You know, that's life experience though. I mean, and if you look at a pro trainer, not like us, let's go to the big wigs, the guys that are training 30 dogs at a time and they've got the big facilities and they don't have time for that. There's no way they could do it. If they, if they were going to work on the five hour drill, it would take them two weeks to get through their kennel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's impossible. So it's, it, as handlers, we have to sometimes think training is not just field work. Training is just obedience and patience and putting them in life situations. And it's really socializing. If you think about it, it's get them used to, and how many dogs are used to living on the back of the truck or being at a motel and, you know, oh, you yeah, guys go to South Dakota for five days. Yeah. They're in there uh, six hours, seven hours up one way. Um, you know, and then obviously from our spot, you know, they drive around for a couple hours to find out where we're going to go and scout and, and you pop out and hunt for an hour or two and then you're back in the truck and you're driving again to find your next spot. And, you, you know, you speak of life experience and not to get on the waterfall topic, but this is my first year ever trying waterfall. I never grew up with it or anything. So <clears throat> just getting my dogs into it and the past couple times that we've gone, I I haven't even brought my gun with. I just take the dogs out. I sit them on their place board next to me and they'll get to retrieve, you know, a goose if it goes down. But, you know, I'm sitting there watching the dogs the whole time. And like we had this past weekend, probably a flock of, I don't know, there was probably two, 3,000 geese flying around us, you wow. know. And they just, the guys are calling and the dogs, you know, like that's life experience for the dogs. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mass chaos. When you have that many geese flying around, everybody, you know, all the calls going off, the geese are honking. They're seeing all this, you know, and they're just like Murph, my older one, he's sitting next to me and he's just like shaking. He's so like amped up to see, you know, that many geese flying around. But man, that is, that's a great example and then, you know, imagine one step further, imagine, you know, a group comes in, you shoot a few and you got one flapping its wing 20 yards in front of Murph. And then another group comes. So the guy who's calling the shot goes, Hey, don't send the dog. We're yeah. going to work this next group. And, they and that wait. dog is sitting there just yeah. amped. And now you got a, a bird flapping in his face. You know, that's the stuff that, okay, that might not apply to Upland necessarily, but imagine having that control of your dog anyway. Yep. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And so you're right. That that's something that you can try to simulate that shit in training, but at the end of the day, You'd it is so different. Yep. Yeah. So different. And you know, so yep. 
I'll hit on the, so like we'll do some training days um, and I'll hit on the goose call a little bit, you know, and they get excited, but there's no excitement level. Like when you have two or three guys in the blind tooting on the horn and legit birds are flying around you, you know, it's just, it's completely different. And it's exposed, you know, given that dog. And I think that's one thing that, and we've kind of touched on it too, giving your dog as much exposure and experiences as you can from mm-hmm. the beginning Absolutely. is going to help tremendously down the road. The more yeah, there's, birds there's... you can get on, the more places you can take them, the more different type of terrain you can take them through, the more people you can get them around. Just the experiences, like you said, is just something that'll make a dog. Without question. And it, it, it's like, if you think about what those dogs, what their job is, you know, and I don't care if this is a military or, or, or canine unit, law enforcement dog, or a hunting dog, their job is to execute trained yep. responses in chaotic situations and have that mental wherewithal, which, you know, go back to your own personal lives, whether you played sports or whatever, practice and game day were different. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you know what I mean? And, and that's, I don't care how competitive you are. I mean, I, I played sports. If you guys did, you know, you know, or I mean, hell, you could be in a rock band and rehearsal in the garage is different than the night of the show. I mean, it's the same concept. It's like when you have people yep. around and you just have that and, and dogs, dogs feed off of you. They know, I mean, there's a reason that dogs can be like blood sugar detection dogs and, and seizure alert <laughs> dogs. I mean, they're in tune it's with incredible. your pheromones and stuff. They know what's going on. It, hell, if a guy comes into your house and he's there to like rob you or hurt you, he's nervous because he's about to do something wrong. And your dog's going to sense that they'll be weird about a person like that. Yep. They know. So yep. you put 10 guys excited about killing ducks in the, in the blind, <laughs> you know, and then you're all sitting there. They know they're not yeah. stupid. And you're you are talking about retrievers who tend to be the leading breed in all of those categories. You know what I mean? They're just intuitive yep. like that. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. There's a, a story from the canine world for law enforcement. And this goes to show just like, what you were saying when it's mass chaos, how you should be, you know, how controlled a dog should be. There was a situation that it was a potential um, breaking and entering. The dog goes in to, to clear the house. Um, and as the dog's clearing the house, uh, a subject's located in the, in a bedroom. However, and I can't remember how exactly it worked, but when the handler sent the dog in to basically go after this person, the person woke up and like yelled uh, that he was, that he lived there. He was the owner of the place. He was just super hammered and fell asleep. And he like broke in through his window to get in. Cause he forgot his key. The hand, the canine handler, the dog was literally midair. The canine handler was able to yell off to that dog and the dog instead of biting the person when it landed just like sat right in front of that person and growled but didn't actually bite him think of the composure you know think of that composure and impulse control that that dog and that dog at eight weeks was already being conditioned to turn off the impulse and do something else for a reward and you know, that whole process is amazing. That's a perfect example of what yeah, I'm talking about. It's I mean, crazy. And then, you know, he yeah. throws him his ball at the end and he's 
super happy. And that dog yeah. is like, yep, just another day at the office. But yeah. think of the training and the and the oh. conditioning and oh. the shaping oh, that yeah. took place. Man, just absolutely astonishing what a dog can do when given the tools and to be able to do it. You but you know, know do, the doing time. these activity, doing these activities with them, Tyler, is exactly what they need to get even close to that level. It's the dog yeah. that sits home and gets a scratch on the head and gets let out to pee a couple times at night after work that never really reaches that level of trainability and, and socialization and all of those things. It, it's yeah. having things to do with them. And, and I, I, I will not lie to you as much as I focus on the field, a huge portion of my clients that come here and get a puppy do not hunt. The caveat. I believe, I believe that. I believe that. It, it, it's true. And our goal is to change that. And you change that a couple of ways. I mean, number one, just like you guys do in this podcast, you have to be an ambassador of this way of life and this sport and you have to expose yep. people. Right. Yep. And our hope is that somebody listens to this and goes, shit, I'm going to try up hunting. Why not? You know, um, the other side of it is as breeders and trainers, we just want to keep having some level of success, whether we're hunting or in the hunt test venues where we can show that, hey, we can breed and train dogs that do this. Maybe you consider us as your breeder, you know, yeah, and, and then we get more clientele that play the games, whether you're hunting or testing or both. Um, but, but push come to shove, you don't have to hunt to make these dogs a great addition to your family. I would no. say you do need to be active lifestyle. Yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, if you like to camp and hike, I mean, a field bred golden or a field bred Labrador is an awesome choice for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, um, there, there's people out there with border collies and boxers and other breeds that are high strong and they wonder why they can't get control of them. Well, <laughs> the, do- the dog mentally needs more. I mean, I don't know your guys' full backgrounds yet. I'm sure we'll get to know each other if we hunt and do all these things. But there were days like in school where you didn't even have practice or work out, but you went to three classes and you were fried because you were mentally doing something. Yep. Yep. And dogs are the same way. Give them something to do. They don't have to run 10 miles a day to come home and behave. You'd be amazed what some little stimulus can do, yeah, you know, 10, make them solve minutes, a problem. No doubt. That can, Absolutely. That can do it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So that's a big part. You know, I think one of your pre-questions to me was what can people expect? That, that same conversation we just had is a big part of what happens on puppy pickup days. Give these guys something to do spend time with them. It kind of organically takes care of itself. If you spend time with the dog and make it part of your life, I believe that because they love to chase a tennis ball as much as they like to retrieve a bird. They only know what they're exposed to. So, I mean, if you like to put a little scent on that ball and hide it around the house and let them find it fine. If you want to shed hunt, which is kind of the same thing I just said, go, go do it. Um, they just want to be engaged, you know, and if you can handle that, you're going to have an amazing, you know, companion for hopefully 12, 15 years. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, I got, I got one more question for you here okay. before we let you go. Give us your all time favorite hunting story with these, with these pups. Or to be honest, I'm pup. hope I'm hoping it's tomorrow, man. I really am. <laughs> That's right. With your I, dad. I, I, yeah. 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 Well, or, or with my, with my wife on Tuesday, I mean, I, I yep. but you know, I would have to say Colt, Colt's 10 years old. He is my first, what I would call field bred. The goal was to hunt and compete with this dog. Okay. Yep. I had some hunting dogs that I had access to when I learned how to do these things. And I have some good stories there too, but Colt was mine. I got him when I was in school. I raised him in a college apartment 
Um, and here we are now when he lays next to the crib of my one-year-old. When I can't find him, he's laying next to one of the kids. That's, <laughs> I mean, he just, he knows his job. He's an amazing dog. I hope I have a few years left with him. He's very healthy, knock on wood. Um, but I took him to Southern Missouri to hunt flooded rice fields. And I know it's not an upland story, but the reason it was so cool is that was kind of my first year to venture out and try a different kind of duck hunting that I hadn't done before. And I took the dog with, and I think a big part of what we're talking about today is upland waterfall doesn't matter. Go see another part of the country, go shoot another species of bird, go get some kind of awesome experience with that dog. Because that's just as much a part of this as the hunting itself. You know what I mean? That, that adventure yeah. side of this, this world. Um, we're sitting in a pit blind and there's just a tornado of mallards over the top of us. Have you ever seen the movie Twister where Bill Paxton's like, he's belted to a pole in the ground. He's in the middle of a tornado. <laughs> yep. I mean, yep. that's what it felt like. There was that many birds, you know, it was kind Jesus. of like what you were talking about with the geese. And I looked over at this dog and he had the same look I had. He was like, holy shit. And he's just sitting there <laughs> looking up. And I just knew right then and there, I mean, we'd, of that whole group, I think we only shot two or three mallards because I think we were all just in shock of what we were watching. But the dog made two great retrieves. Then we ran a blind on a cripple. And I just remember packing up the decoys and, and driving out of that flooded field. I had never seen a, a flooded rice field before. I'm not from there. I mean, I, that was just unique. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I could ever imagine not hunting ever again or with a dog ever again. And um, here we are. And it's like, I feel like we're just getting started. I mean, I want to go shoot grouse uh, out and out West. I want to do some Montana, Wyoming upland stuff. And I think it would yeah. be neat to go chase chuckers in their native, you know, I'm starting mm -hmm. these Wisconsin chuckers, you know, that are coming out of the, out of the pen. Yeah. I want to go shoot them out West, but you know, I, I don't know. I, what, what are, have you guys done anything, you know, outside of the Midwest upland hunting wise? No, no, Personally. just uh, South Dakota um, is all, um, I did get invited. So I ended up guiding. So there's a, in Story City, there's a pheasant farm here or preserve, whatever you would call it, club. Story um, City is, uh, is it? Um, Worthwoods Hunting Preserve? Yeah, we did a UGA event there. Yeah, nice. so. I know Rachel. I, yeah. So Rachel was on one of our podcasts and okay. um, Jeff who owns the whole thing. I ended up guiding diesel with some guys from Louisiana and he fucking, he destroyed it. He was having one of those days where it was like, he just, I know they're pen birds, but it was just like, he was just on fire. Like he just didn't even miss a beat. I think we only didn't get, they just only because they missed him that we didn't get like two birds. Cause they, they missed him. Um, and they invited me to go down to, uh, God, where the hell was it? Alabama or something to go Arkansas, I think it was to go uh, snow goose hunting with them. I wasn't Oof. able to go. I wasn't able to go because we were just having my at the time. Sure, yeah. Um, but I was like, oh God. So yeah. But you know, that's I think what you just said, man. It's amazing. First of all, pen raised or not, watching a dog hunt birds will never get old. If it's nope. in you, it's mm -hmm. in you. And when you meet these people you know, you can go down there and shoot speckle bellies. And at some point your invite will be there. And it's because of your dog that you got that. Think about it. <laughs> I know. You, know, you know what I mean? And I, I hear you because both of my daughters, one was born on August 30th, which is the day before early goose season. Yep. And then my other daughter, ironically enough, was born on September 11th, which is right in the heat of early goose season. 
and them being one in three the last three years, you know, my wife works at a salon and works on Saturdays. So my waterfowl hunting has halted quite a bit, mm-hmm. yep. but my preserve hunting has really escalated because that's what I yeah. can do on a Sunday or, um, and I like it because I can hunt a few dogs at once. So they, more of them get to get out and get to get to do it versus if I go duck hunting, I really only bring one dog. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to get you guys out to that hundred bird, uh, That'd be awesome. And who knows if you guys, when you guys start making millions and you get a few big sponsors, maybe we'll go out West. (laughs) One can help. Start making millions. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you share this podcast to help us. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to, we're going to have to make sure we get a few clicks to get there, but you know, (laughs) who knows? This might be the one to do it because we're talking about labs supposed to point and uh, (laughs) don't, don't steady your dog to flush and all these people. I don't know what your comments are going to be. good. Who hey, the hell the, are these people? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that uh, Tyler and I always said, we will not edit our podcast. We want it to be 100% real. We're 100% down to earth, guys. Um, and that's something we're going to hold true to. Uh, yep. We're not going to edit any of this. So what is on here is on here. And people, I love it, man. You know, it's an it. honest it's an honest conversation. And I think with dogs especially, I mean, believe me, I am a fan of the highest level of trained dog that, that you can yep. get. But at the end of the day, you know, and I, if, if you want to learn more about upland training, I would encourage you guys to get a spaniel guy on here. Okay. Like a Springer spaniel. And there's some guys that I would, I'll send you in a private message that you should reach out to, because if you want to talk about people who have figured out how to train quartering patterns and get more precise about how we comb a field and be really efficient at looking at every inch of this cover and making sure there's not birds here, these spaniel guys have truly figured that out. Nice. They use place boards. They use barrel drills. These dogs are doing these figure eight patterns through a field. And if they miss a spot and I'm generalizing, they can do like this little weird whistle and the dog will come back and recheck. Cause it's like, Hey, you missed a spot. Get back over here. They will stop <laughs> and go back in there. And it's like, Holy that's shit. That's pretty cool. Now the other side of it is, I don't know if I want to hunt with somebody who's constantly on that fucking annoying whistle the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you missed True. a spot. <laughs> whatever there was that's just it it's like and it's a it's that weird whistle where it's like you know and you're yeah. you probably hear it in your sleep after you hunt with them all day <laughs> but and i'm contradicting myself because that's a highly trained impressive dog but it's yeah. like i don't know if i want that at times i just want to turn them loose and go find birds i mean i don't want to make this more complicated you know than it is but like i said i mean i think I think people need to stop treating Upland as an afterthought. And I think that you need to put a little work into it, you know, early on and develop those skills because you can tell dogs that hunt Upland birds and you can tell dogs that are just out there to try it. I mean, there is a massive difference in the way that they work a field. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you guys, you know, bringing some, some attention to, to hunting Upland birds with retrievers, because I think in general, we, we kind of picture the pointing dogs, the setters, you know, maybe even some of the spaniels. The truth is, you know, these retrievers are probably some of the more versatile, strong players in this sport. Um, man, I can that. tell you, if you go watch the bird dog challenge or, you know, who'd be a good guy for you to talk to is Mike Vaughn. Um, if you, if you remember that bird dog Wars show where they did the, the bird dog challenge, they made a reality series about it. I don't remember that. Well, if you look into it, Mike Vaughn was one of the regulars on that show. And I, I know him pretty good now because we see each other at hunt tests. We're both ex MMA fighters and stuff. So we knew a oh, lot nice. of the same people and 
he owns a he's a pro trainer he's got a big program and and he runs hunt tests upland venues he actually has a hunt club in near madison wisconsin but i mean there's a guy who has won at the national level these upland competitions and he does it with labradors nice and i mean and he he knows the game and he's he's a hell of an athlete and i mean he's his athleticism is probably part of it because he can move through a field you know as good as some of these athletic dogs can but um I, I think people need to start learning about these upland venues and these hunt tests and these trials that they give you something to do in the off season. They offer you a way to train and keep your dog sharp in the off season, which is probably 99% of our issue, you know, yep, yep. staying on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, upland with the retriever is, I, I, I don't think it's a lost art, but it doesn't get the publicity that I would think it would. I mean, I think that they're super strong in that area and underrated if you ask me. I would agree. I would agree with that. What else you got? I think that's it, Ryan. You have covered everything for us. Uh, we need to set up that hunt for Sabila. We need to do, we need to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, in, in, in serious, you got You have a new baby, so I understand. But if you want to, we'll, we'll talk, you know, obviously offline about this. But if, if uh, January or February works, hopefully uh, we yeah. get to keep these winter conditions. I don't like to do it when it's 60 degrees. You know, oh, you never know yeah. with March. Yeah. You know. No, that should work. I mean, as long as, uh, you know, as long as it's not a weekend, uh, usually I can, I can pull away for a little while. All right. Well, so. we'll, we'll find a, a day. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be great to get together and we'll shoot this, we'll shoot it live and do a couple live videos. And do you guys yeah. do any video content for like a YouTube channel too? Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll Just get a little more in tune with started. that. Yeah, it's, cool. It's tough to do upland with just a GoPro. Oh man. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the stabilizers and stuff and yeah. we're and trying to figure all that out too. Whatnot. You have to, you have to get about 10 batteries. You know? If you start finding some things that work well, let me know because you know, it, it's uh it's kind of funny. All these breeders and trainers, they're, they're getting with the times and they're doing a lot of video content and yep. you know, it's, it's starting the new generation of your, of your potential oh, yeah. clients. They're finding me on Instagram and I'm just learning how to message on there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, hey, there's some shit I gotta, I gotta text Tyler and be like, how the hell did you do that? How'd you do that? And tell me how to, exactly. <laughs> tell me well, how to you, post this picture. <laughs> man, you have to do it. You have to do it or else you're, you got no chance, you know, you have I mean, to do it. So honestly, I wouldn't have any social media platforms. I'm not really a, a poster or anything of that sorts. Uh, if it wasn't for this kind of thing. So yeah, it, uh, I'm with you. If it and wasn't I always for tell Tyler, camera. I'm like, I'm sorry. I haven't posted anything for like four, four or five days. I'm like, I'll get, I'll get some content. <laughs> he's, he's constantly getting it on there and I'm always kind of like, Oh yeah. And then I just kind of, you know, it's just, it's not at the forefront of my mind at all times, but well, we'll, better, we'll share, we'll share your stuff. We'll share your stuff. You guys have some really good hunting videos and obviously with the goldens in the lab, I mean, it's totally relevant for our page. We have a pretty good following. We've just been at it for four years and we're active and that's really the key. Yeah. Yep. So um, and we'll, we'll share, uh, we'll share some of your stuff too and take you guys in a few things, uh, especially this. So this podcast will go out next Monday, next Monday yep. cool. after Christmas. Yep. Cool. I appreciate it guys. It was fun. And uh, yeah. we'll definitely hunt together and then hopefully we continue to just, you know, share some content and stay in, in touch throughout the season. I think we'll For just sure. keep trying to show these retrievers doing the upland thing. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you very much, Ryan. Hey guys. Thank you. Fleshman Dustin, man. Take care. Hi. See you. Hi. Later. Hi.